So yes, we've been on this journey to joy this month as we reflect upon our generosity season and the invitation that God gives us to find the joy of generosity and the joy of giving our lives over to a greater cause and a greater purpose. And so to that end and with that theme in mind, we look at a couple more texts from the New Testament. The first from the Gospel according to Luke, the ninth chapter, beginning at the 51st verse. Hear the Word of God. When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him, and on their way they entered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. But they did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and then they went on to another village. And then from the third chapter of Paul's letter to the Philippians, we've been taking a look at one chapter each week during our journey to joy, this great letter of joy. And we find in the third chapter, beginning at the seventh verse, these words. Paul writes and says, Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, those of us then who are mature of the same mind, if you think differently about anything, this too God will reveal to you. Only let us hold fast to what we have attained. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we pray, O Lord, that you will allow these words to come to point to the word just read and to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ. For we pray this in his name. Amen. <clears throat> One of the hardest questions for me to answer is the question I have often been asked since moving to Florida some 11 plus years ago. And the question is this, are you a golfer? <laughs> now that question could be asking a lot of things. It could be asking, are you a good golfer? And the answer would be no, I'm a pretty bad golfer. It could be asking, are you a regular golfer? And the answer, again, would be no, though I used to be before moving to Florida, but that's a whole other story. It could be asking, 
do you play golf at all? And the answer is, yes, I play golf. I have clubs. I go out every once in a while. I know the difference between a pitching wedge and a driver, though I hit both around the same distance. <laughs> I know some of the basic rules. Don't talk to somebody during their backswing. Don't walk on top of somebody's line on the green. Don't improve your lie. I, I know enough about golf to know that there are actually a lot of rules a lot of the, that a lot of casual golfers don't pay a lot of attention to. You know, if you're just bouncing around the course, having a good time with some friends, you know, enjoying the walk, the rules, you know, kind of don't matter a whole lot. But the more serious you take the game, the more serious you take the rules. The, the better you get, the more closely you pay attention to how the game is played. And when you begin to compete, it's all about how well you do play the game, how well you play the game in two ways. First, how well you play the game in getting the ball to the hole. That is, you know, how skilled you are off the tee, how you play your irons, what kind of putter you are, whether you can make par or break par. Then also, how well you play the game in accordance with the rules. Golf is an honors game. No referees. You call penalties on yourself. If you have any hint that you've broken a rule, any least suspicion, then you call a penalty on yourself. To not do so is to bring shame upon one person, you, and you compromise the integrity of the game. In golf, the means justify the ends. You may have picked off the sports page a couple months ago the situation involving young professional golfer Russell Henley, pictured on your bulletin, playing in a PGA event. Mr. Henley was having a pretty good tournament, and at the end of his second round, he reached into his bag to get a couple of balls to sign for a couple of fans when he realized that somehow an errant ball had made its way into his bag. In professional golf, you choose what brand and style of ball you will play in your round, and you can play no other kind of balls called the one ball rule. Mr. Henley noticed that he had a different ball in his bag, materially the same ball with just a slightly different marking. And there was this chance, though, that perhaps he had played that ball during the round, but he couldn't be quite sure. No one else was aware of this, could have quietly pitched the ball away, and folks would have been none the wiser. But he knew the rule. And he knew that in golf, the only person who calls the penalty on you is you. So he contacted rules officials, and the rules officials, after deliberating, penalized him eight strokes for the round, which meant that Russell Henley missed the cut, and a couple of hours was on a plane home. Later, when asked about this turn of events, Henley, a deeply religious man, said this, you call a penalty on yourself because it's the right thing to do. If you don't call a penalty on yourself, then you're going to have to live with it, and that's a lousy way to live. The means justify the ends. Are you a golfer, Mr. Henley? And in perhaps the deepest, most important way, Mr. Henley can reply, yes, I'm a golfer. Recently, it was discovered that the Houston Astros, who won the World Series back in 2017, won it by virtue of cheating throughout the season by stealing pitching signs from other teams, a big no-no. They have the World Series trophy in their case. And what good is it? The means 
justify the ends. When I was preparing for ordination in the Presbyterian Church, we were schooled on the preliminary principles of church order, and one of them included the supposition that, quote, truth is an order to goodness. And what that meant and what that means is that our pursuit even of the truth can never be at the expense of goodness. It can't be good if it isn't true. That means that we always, that the means must always justify the ends. You can't win an argument by calling someone a name. You can't improve society by demeaning another human being. You can't be a champion golfer and improve your lie. You can't make money by ill means, even though you may choose to give that money to build a hospital. You can't lie to achieve a benevolent power. You can't sacrifice to save a life. You can't sacrifice life to save a life. If it isn't good, then it can't be true. And maybe that's what the issue at hand was when Jesus and his disciples pass by that Samaritan village on the way to Jerusalem, and they get word from the village that they are not welcome within their town limits. They don't want Jesus to visit. And James and John get on their high horse, and because they're starting to believe that Jesus can do just about anything, they say, hey, how about we wipe them out? How about we call down fire from heaven to consume them? And it's a fair question. If what they've come to believe about Jesus is that he's on this mission from God and that he has been endowed with powers of God, it's a fair question. Why don't we just show them a thing or two? If we're supposed to take over the world by force, why not do it that way? Let's give the Spanish Inquisition something to blush about. It's not unlike the devil's approach to Jesus. If you are the son of God, he says to Jesus, perform some magic. Turn these stones into bread. Throw yourself off the temple. Take over the kingdoms of the world. Sell your soul and get what you want. Fair question. Do the ends justify the means? Or do the means justify the ends? What does it mean to be a child of God? So, we watch Jesus make his way across the dusty trails of Palestine, and we know, we know that Jesus can do whatever he wants. We know he can march to Rome. We know he can call down fire. We know that he can jump from the temple. We know that he can wave his wand and feed just about every human soul with bread enough to spare. And because he's God, we might even say that the ends justifies the means. But for Jesus... The way we live our lives, the way we live our lives justifies whatever the outcome. The way we live our lives justifies whatever the outcome, which explains, I suppose, that when Jesus steps outside the bounds of the law and puts himself at risk touching the untouchables and welcoming the unwelcomed and forgiving the unforgivable, it gets him into more and more trouble with people who think they know more and more about God than Jesus does, and the whole thing then all of a sudden starts to unravel. Arrest, betrayal, denial, unjust conviction, sentence to death, writhing crucifixion, taunts from beneath the cross. Jump down off that cross and save yourself. The ends justify the means. But Jesus, who knows and nobody else knows, is that the ends never justify the means. 
Father, he says, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. The way we live our lives justifies whatever the outcome. Better to touch the untouchable, welcome the unwelcome, forgive the unforgivable, even if it means a cross. Or in the words of that great theologian, Leo DeRocher, <laughs> nice guys finish last. And Jesus would say, Probably so, because Jesus says the joy of the journey has to do more with what is alongside the road than what is at the end of the road. And every mile marker is about goodness. Every mile marker is about grace. Every mile marker is about doing the right thing despite the outcome. It's the good and beautiful life, to borrow the phrase from James Bryan Smith. Joy comes not at the end of the road, but alongside of the road, where every day is the chance to be gracious, to be kind, to be good, despite the outcome, to call even penalties on yourself if it means packing your bags and going home. I think it's what Paul was trying to say when he talked about becoming like Jesus. This was the whole point for Paul. This was the joy of life, to become like Jesus. I press on, Paul says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. This is my joy. And every day gives me the opportunity to be a little bit more like Jesus, to to bless the people Jesus blesses, to heal the people Jesus heals, to forgive people that Jesus forgives, to welcome people that Jesus welcomes. Does it get you a gold watch at the end? Likely not. But it's never been about the end. It's always about the joy of doing the right thing. Did you hear the story about the two city workers up in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin? Part of their job was to provide maintenance support to one of the city parks there in Fond du Lac, and they kept noticing as they were doing their work, they kept noticing this older gentleman would arrive every day and pull up alongside the park on the road, and he would get out of his car with a handful of daisies, and he would make his way down the path, and he would stop at a particular bench, and he would lay the daisies on the bench. Turns out that this particular park bench was the bench the old man gave in memory of his blessed bride, now deceased, to whom he had been married 55 years. It was daily, his daily practice to come and lay daisies on the bench because his bride's favorite song had been, I'll give you a daisy a day, dear. I'll give you a daisy a day. So it was his personal mission to give his bride, even in death, a daisy a day. But as you might guess, it snows a bit in Fond du Lac, and what these city workers noticed is that on the snowy days, the old man would still pull up on the street, and with the snow deeply covering every path, and especially the path to the bench, there was no way to traverse the drifts. He would just sit in his car with his daisies and sing her song. But then came the day when he arrived after more snow had fallen, and lo and behold, 
a path. A path shoveled out, going nowhere but to the bench of his dear sweet wife. A week later, the same thing. More snow, shoveled path. Without a word being said, those city's workers, whose job description did not include snow shoveling, brought their own shovels because they couldn't live with themselves if the old man couldn't bring his daisies. When I saw that path for the first time, said the old man, my knees nearly buckled. Said Jared Ebert, one of the city workers, it was a path really that led to nowhere, but then we discovered that for one person, it was a path that led to somewhere. The good and beautiful life. Clearing the path that for someone leads to somewhere. It seems that for the good Lord, those were the rules of the game. No sense playing. If you're not going to clear the path, that for someone leads to somewhere. For the broken to become whole, for sinners to be forgiven, for outcasts to be welcomed, for hungry to be fed. No sense claiming that trophy if the only path you shoveled was your own. And maybe that's what's happening when a tutor takes an hour and teaches a kid clearing the path that for someone else leads to somewhere or a bag of groceries packed by a volunteer, clearing a path that for someone leads to somewhere. A $500 check from a 90-year-old to sponsor a bunch of high school kids to their summer mission trip, clearing a path that for someone leads to somewhere. Increasing your giving to the church, clearing a path that for someone leads to somewhere. Reading to a first grader at Wilkinson, clearing a path that for someone leads to somewhere. Every day, just trying to be a little more like Jesus. One thing I do, writes the apostle, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. The good and beautiful life.